said, let's jump in. Um, hey guys, this is a very monumental moment. Do you want to know why? Monumental Wednesday. This is the final sermon in the Gospel of Mark. If you, yes, if, oh, rip my shirt off. Don't do that. Um, if you've been with us, we started the Gospel of Mark September 9th of 2020. This will be the 45th sermon in the Gospel of Mark, and we have skipped one section of the Gospel of Mark, and it was about marriage and the resur resurrection, and we skipped that section, but those are the only verses that we have skipped um, in this study through the Gospel of Mark, and we hope that um, as you have been um, just sitting through the teaching, as you've been talking with friends about um, what it means for you as a person, what it means for us as a youth group, what it means for us as a church, we hope that you've been encouraged. And uh, where we are going next is we're going to have about a four to five week series talking about prayer. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but um, I know for me, um, the, the topic of prayer and the, the spiritual discipline of prayer sometimes can be a really fuzzy thing. And so we want to bring some clarity to that. We want to teach on prayer. We want to talk about what it, um, what the Bible says about it, what it is, and um, how we can apply that spiritual discipline um, to our lives. And so that's where we're going to be. Uh, our intern, Kaylee, is going to help preach two of those sermons. And so we are thoroughly one of those sermons. Yep. And then on May 4th, she is going to preach a solo sermon all by herself, and it is going to be incredible. And so make sure you're here over the next uh, two months or so. It's going to be very, very great. Um, so uh, we are going to be talking tonight about the resurrection of Jesus. Easter is just a few weeks away, but we're going to talk about the resurrection today because that's where we are in our gospel. And so if you have a Bible, whether your Bible is paper um, or electronic on your phone, I would love for you to get that out. We're going to be in Mark chapter 16. And we are going to be reading in just a moment. My friend Anna is going to come in a moment and read verses 1 through 8. But we're going to look at Mark chapter 16. And if you're using an electronic Bible or a Bible on your mobile device or whatever, um, you can, if you tap the, the uh, more icon in the bottom right-hand corner and go to events, you will see the Bethel Youth event there. And you can save that event. All of our notes from tonight are going to be there as, long as, or, or as well as about six different resources for you to read through, to come through, and kind of just to study on your own to help uh, get a little bit more information and, uh, through this text. And so the resurrection is the climax of Jesus's life and his death. Um, there's a reason that the church has worshipped on Sunday and not Friday. So Friday is when Jesus was crucified. Um, the liturgical church, we call that as, as Good Friday. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate the death of Jesus because of what it means. If you missed last week, that's what we talked about. Go to Spotify and uh, find that sermon and listen to it. But the resurrection changed everything. The crucifixion is essential, but the resurrection is what brings everything together. The Savior died, Jesus, the Messiah, died, but he was not left dead. He was resurrected, and in doing so, he defeated sin, death, and hell. And if you read the four Gospels, you would notice that they all record the following. They, they all record the crucifixion, they, they record the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And the unique part about the Gospels is the perspective that each writer uh, brings to their book. Some of the accounts were eyewitnesses, others 
like the Gospel of Mark that we have been studying over the last couple years, um, are recorded from what they learned from eyewitness accounts of people. So uh, Mark essentially like sat at the feet of Peter, and Peter recalled and recounted his life with Jesus, and Mark wrote those things down. And these accounts are not contrary to one another, but instead they deal with and include different things. They are unique. So we need to look at Mark 16, and we, if, you are, have, if you have your paper Bible, or even if you have your electronic Bible, um, you will see that there are, there are more verses than just Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. You'll see that there are verses 9 through 20. And if you have a, a paper Bible, you'll see probably in brackets, say something like the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20, and then it proceeds to have like italics or the, the text is in brackets. Um, you could consider Mark 16, 1 through 8 as the short ending to Mark, and you could kind of view verses 9 through 20 as a long ending. Uh, so what does this mean? What is, why is there two different endings to the gospel of Mark? Um, and this can cause you or maybe someone that you've, you've known, it can sometimes cause you to question the authority of scripture. Um, but I want to encourage you, it doesn't have to. So the big question that needs some answers, or I guess the big questions that need some answers are, are verses 9 through 20 trustworthy? Were they left out of original manuscripts? If they were left out, should we leave them out as well? Um, why were they added? Uh, was Mark the writer of those verses? And to answer these questions, we need to present some points from both sides. So I'm going to very briefly give you some perspectives from each side, and I want to uh, push you towards the YouVersion Bible app that will have a couple different articles that you can read that are a little bit more in-depth to kind of wrap your mind around this. Um, here's an important clarifier, though. I want to read a quote from Elijah Hickson. He said, with or without Mark 16, 9 through 20, he says, the tomb is empty, Jesus has purchased our pardon, and we can be certain of that. So to put it in perspective, it's essential to know that including um, a note here is not a recent development in church history. Christians have known for centuries that Mark 16 verses 9 through 20 might not have been uh, originally a part of Mark's gospel. We're talking like this was known since like 100 AD, 200 AD. So a real, real long time, about 2,000 years. So here's some brief evidence for keeping verses 9 through 20. The made evidence would be the original manuscripts for Mark, about 99.9% of them include verses 9 through 20. And this includes over 1,600 Greek manuscripts of Mark. So this is kind of just a point for keeping it. Uh, brief evidence for not keeping 9 through 20. Again, Elijah Hickson said this, It's hard to explain why those verses would, would ever be removed. Yet we find it missing in early manuscripts in multiple language and absent in the majority of Greek manuscripts. And this is according to this philosopher who says that it's missing from a lot of different ones, whose remarks were repeated by Jerome, this other scholar. It's much easier to explain why 16 verses 9 through 20 would be added to the only gospel that seems like it's missing something, which is precisely what the compiler of one sixth century commentary did. And then another point is this, without 16, 9 through 20, it seems like there's an empty tomb, but the question remains of like, okay, where is Jesus? Like, what happens to Jesus after this? Um, here's a question, did Mark intend for this gospel to end at verse 8? 
Uh, it's hard to say. There's a few different lanes that say that one says that, yes, um, he did intend for it to end abruptly so that you can be in awe and wonder of the resurrection and the authority and power of God. And then um, there's another lane that's that said that, you know, Mark probably did include a conclusion. And then um, as they were manually uh, copying these manuscripts, this ending was lost in kind of the beginning. Um, and we just, as they were copying it and we just don't have it. So if Mark intended it to be, uh, to conclude at verse 8, why was the early church so adamant about including the short and the long ending? Um, another question would be, why would Mark end his gospel with the women being afraid and no post-resurrection details? Um, which one's better? Uh, it's like choosing a kid. They're both really good. They just imp- uh, include different um, events. So what can we take away And then we'll jump into our actual text. We can take away from these two points of view. Even if this was not included in some of the original manuscripts, it is inspired and through God's sovereignty was allowed to be circulated as scripture for thousands of years. These 11 verses do not contradict anything else in scripture and line up with the theology of Jesus' resurrection. Another point is scholars are on both sides of this text. Um, And then the last one, we know that it's most likely not written by Mark, and that's totally okay. And uh, like I said, I've included a couple resources uh, in the YouVersion notes if you want to do some more research um, on both sides of this uh, uh, point. So we'll be mainly reading and studying verses 1 through 8. And so I want you to stand with me as Anna Chisnell comes, and she is going to read Mark 16, verses 1 through 8 in the New International Version. Here you go, Anna. Hi, guys. Okay. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Yep, that's it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Anna. So that's it. It's the end. And so you can see the abruptness of this ending. It feels as if there's no resolution. It feels like there's no, like, okay, so everything's all good. These women are left bewildered. They're left fearful. Um, But this is just it. There's no conclusion. Um, If you read the accounts in all four Gospels, we can conclude that this event that is taking place took place very early on Sunday morning. So these women were on their way to complete the burial tradition. So bodies would be uh, wrapped in linens and uh, they would be wrapped with a combination of spices, excuse me, oils and cloth to conceal 
the odor from the decaying body. And something of interest is that they, uh, that the, the fact that they were actually going to do this. Um, Jesus predicted that he would rise from the dead. So why weren't they going to the tomb on the third day? Like Jesus said this multiple times. So why weren't they going to the tomb to be like, okay, so it's the third day. Like, has he risen from the dead yet? Like, is he still there? Is the, is the stone still there? And, um, but they were going to finish the burial process. Um, they were even wondering who would roll the stone back so they could get into the tomb. And we can see that the expectation of the resurrection seems pretty low. And like I said, this is interesting because in Mark chapter 9, very early in the accounts of Jesus, as well as in other places, Jesus predicts that he will be killed. And then three days later, he would be raised from the dead. And it seems as if uh, these women forgot what Jesus said or maybe didn't have the confidence that Jesus was going to, in fact, raise from the dead. Some argue, some people argue that the women didn't know where uh, Jesus was buried. Maybe they went to the wrong tomb. And so that's why they couldn't find Jesus's body. They find this rando, you know, dressed in all white. And so they just didn't know where Jesus was, was buried. Um, this could have been the case because there were hundreds of tombs cut out of the rocks. But if you turn to Matthew chapter 27, we see that these women did know where Jesus was buried and how he was buried because they witnessed it. Verses 59 through 61, Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, placed it in his own new tomb that had been cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the, and the other Mary, how would you like to be named that? Like, I'm the other Mary, um, were sitting the opposite of the tomb. So reading Matthew's account of the burial shows us that the Marys, that's what I'm going to call them, the Marys, did know where Jesus remembered. Therefore, it's very likely that they remembered which tomb he was buried in just a couple days later. So this burial took place 6 p.m. on Friday evening, the preparation day for the Sabbath. And because it was a Sabbath, these women could not return to this tomb on Saturday um, because Jews were forbidden to travel, work, or do much on the Sabbath day. Think about how terrible of a Sabbath that would have been. Your, your rabbi, your teacher, your savior, your friend, he was just humiliated, shamed, murdered, and you can't go see him. You can't go to the place where he is buried and mourn his death or anything. I don't know if you've ever experienced losing someone close in your life, but there's a lot of, um, there can sometimes be a lot of closure in your mind and in your heart when someone passes away, when you can go to the place that they are buried. Uh, maybe it's a, it's a graveyard, maybe it's somewhere else, maybe they were cremated and you can go to the place where their ashes are, but there's, there's this sense of closure when you can go to the place that their body is. Now, I want you to be thinking about that. And these people couldn't do that because of the Sabbath law. And while they were following the Sabbath law, not everyone was doing the same. Um, not everyone was mourning the loss of Jesus and partaking in the Sabbath. The Jewish religious leaders were known to break and bend rules in order to do what they wanted. And so they actually worried that the disciples would go to the tomb, roll the stone away, steal the body, and then go tell everyone that Jesus has been resurrected. The Messiah has done what he said he was going to do. And so these 
these religious leaders were like, we cannot have that happen. So what do they do? They go to the Roman governor. They go to Pilate and they're like, hey, here's the deal. Um, we don't want them to steal the body, so this is what I want you to do. Could you send uh, a soldier to this tomb to guard it so no one goes and, um, and steals the body? And so, uh, long story short, many details skipped. Um, they, there is a Roman soldier at the tomb guarding it. Um, crazy thing was, while he was guarding it, there was an earthquake at the tomb, the stone was rolled away, and the soldier passed out because he was so terrified. And by this time, it is very early Sunday morning, and Mary and Mary have arrived at the tomb. Let's read verses 5 through 6 again. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. I've always wondered, like, are they glowing always? Because I know scripture talks about, like, angels glowing. I wonder if he was glowing um, in this one. But it's always funny. Don't be alarmed. It's like there's a person in here that we weren't expecting to be in here. We're expecting a dead person, and you are not dead. Um, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they had laid him. So I can imagine that these women, they are feeling... A, a plethora of emotions. They're probably feeling grief because of the, the reasons I gave earlier. They're probably experiencing some sort of pain, disbelief, doubt, amazement, excitement, joy. Their emotions are probably all over the place. Remember, they were present when the stone was placed there, sealing the body in the tomb, and now it's not there. And so then they're like, oh my gosh, like what's taking place? What's happening? They see someone sitting. I know that I would be alarmed too. So this was an angel concealed as a human sitting there waiting for them to come in to see Jesus. And then it's interesting what this angel tells them to go do. Verses 7 through 8 says to go. Tell the disciples and Peter. This is a very important note we'll talk about later. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So these instructions that the angel gave to the Marys was very simple. It was to go. To tell the disciples that Jesus has risen. To go to tell Peter specifically that Jesus has risen. So let's unpack the importance of, of, and the significance of what the resurrection meant for the disciples, for Peter, for you and I, and for all of humanity. At the most basic level, the resurrection is important because it means four things. God has all authority. It validates Jesus' claim to be the Son of God. That Jesus overcame death and defeated death. And the fourth one is he is alive. So at the most basic points, these are four important uh, facts about the resurrection. And the Apostle Paul went as far as to say in 1 Corinthians 15, he said this, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is what? It's useless. And so is your faith. Those are very, very strong words about the importance of the resurrection. And last week we talked about the importance and the significance of Jesus' death on the cross and how it was the payment for the world's sins. So the wrath of God for sin was fully experienced by Jesus. 
Brian Hedges said this about the resurrection and what Paul said. It says, Paul saw a direct connection between the resurrection of Jesus and the sufficiency of his death to atone for our sins. When Jesus rose again on the third day, it was the public announcement that God was fully satisfied with the sacrificial death of his son. The resurrection also means that death, sickness, and pain will no longer have the final authority over us. Revelation 21 verse 4 promises that one day he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be more, no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So someday we will experience this. No more pain, no more crying, no more death in the new heaven and earth when heaven and earth become united when Jesus returns in the future. So Paul would also write in that same letter to the Corinthians that we just read a few moments ago. He would say, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, so because of what Jesus has done and through the victory on the cross, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. He's saying, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So the resurrection has conquered death and death no longer has power. We must entirely give ourselves to the work of the Lord because we already know that the victory has been won. And so the angels instructed the women to tell the disciples of this truth. And the, the, the angel told the women to tell Peter specifically. Did you catch that? To tell Peter specifically that he had risen. So let's dive into that. Peter was one of the most one of the inner 12 disciples that followed Jesus. He, Jesus handpicked him to follow him and to learn from him and like all of us Peter was a little bit rough around the edges. If you've read any parts of the New Testament or you've heard any sermons about the the disciples, you've probably heard a few things about about Peter. He was a fisherman by trade and was often recorded in the Gospels as a loud, bold, speak his mind and act upon impulse type of person. John MacArthur would say this about Peter. He says, Peter is beloved by all of us because he is like us. He has all the failures that we are so familiar with in our own lives. He overestimates himself and underestimates temptation. He, he thinks he's more committed than he is. He thinks he loves the Lord more than he does. He thinks he can face any trial triumphantly and then finds out he can't. How many of you guys resonate with that? I know that I resonate with that. And oftentimes we resonate with people's, with people's failures because it makes them relatable to us. So he was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. He walked on water. He was there when Jesus was betrayed. He cuts off a guy's ear when Jesus was being betrayed. Talk about loyalty, right? He betrayed Jesus, though, during his trial. He overestimates his devotion. He was missing during Jesus' crucifixion and burial because he was scared and didn't want to associate himself with them. Peter had a rough couple of days. and You can imagine the emotions going through his mind. 
He was a very fervent person saying that he would never deny Jesus, that he would always follow him, and here he is, hiding while Jesus is being betrayed and crucified. You can imagine that he is probably thinking to himself, I'm a fraud. He's probably experiencing immense amounts of guilt, shame, knowing that he's abandoned Jesus when he said that he would never do that. And the angel wanted Peter to know that Jesus saw him and wanted to be with him. So let's read this interaction between Peter and Jesus in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I say to you. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. So Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Jesus is asking Peter if he loves him more than the other disciples. And because Peter declared his absolute allegiance to Jesus just a few days earlier, but we know that he didn't follow through in that promise. And it wasn't lost on Peter why Jesus would ask him three times. If you've read the story before, you might remember that Peter denied and even knowing Jesus three times. In the original language, the word Jesus uses for love communicates an unconditional, unselfish kind of love. And the word Paul uses for love is one of reciprocation and friendly affection. And this could have been Peter's toned back words not to overestimate his love and devotion. But I, I, I found this quote and it, it um, kind of resonated with me. He says he is simply saying that his heart is open to Christ and that Christ therefore knows that he loves him with the best love of which he, a sinful human being, is capable what we see with his interaction is that Jesus is instructing Peter to lead and feed the nation of Israel back to Jesus. He's also teaching him to lead and to feed the nations of the world with Jesus. Jesus is commissioning Peter to be his mouthpiece, to preach the death and resurrection of Jesus. Notice the question that Jesus asked Peter. Jesus doesn't ask Peter if he will, ever, if he will never do that again. He doesn't um, ask as if, if he was sorry for what he did. Jesus asks him, do you love me? Peter knows that Jesus knows the depth of his heart and can see through his sinfulness and knows his desire to honor him. Pretty incredible story. After, G after Peter's restoration, he becomes one of the most significant founders and leaders of the Christian church. In Acts chapter 2, he preaches to a crowd of people on Pentecost, and 3,000 people confess their sin and are saved. 
How crazy would that be? You go from denying Jesus to being like restored by Jesus. And then uh, about a hundred ish days later, you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you preach and 3000 people get saved. It's incredible. He preaches and starts churches all over the region. He dies a martyr because of his devotion to Jesus. As the band comes, we're going to, one of the ways that we're going to respond tonight is just singing about Jesus's resurrection and the importance of that. But I want to give you two final thoughts. Jesus invites us into that same relationship and life tonight that he invited to Peter. The question, will you live with the hope of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit and to go and tell others of the good news? I want to leave you with this thought. If you were to summarize this entire text, I feel like this summarizes it well. The resurrection of Jesus gives him authority over sin and death and gives us hope for this life and the hope of heaven. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to just together, we're going to stand, and um, we're going to sing these two songs. And I would encourage you, if you know the words, to um, sing along. If you don't know the words, just I would encourage you to read um, the lyrics and to um, just just, um, internalize the message of these songs. And just know that Jesus gave everything for you so that you could have a united life with your creator. But he also did it to overcome sin and overcome death so that you could have that opportunity to be in unity with God. So let's stand together and let's pray. And then we'll sing about the hope of Jesus's resurrection. Jesus, we thank you so much for what you've done. Jesus, we stand in awe of your goodness We stand in awe that you would give your life for us, that your body would be broken, that your blood would be poured out so that we could be redeemed, so that our sin could be atoned for. And Jesus, we are so thankful that you did not stay dead, but instead you were resurrected, overcoming death, overcoming sin. And Jesus, we look forward not only just to heaven, but we look forward to the days moving forward where we live in light of the hope of the resurrection. I pray, Jesus, as we continue about our day and we continue about our life, I pray that we would remember what you have done for us, that we would live a life that reflects the resurrection. It's in your mighty name we pray these things. Amen.